All right, we're in a series of lessons called Move, and we've been looking at Jesus as Jesus encounters people and moves them from where they are to where they need to be. And we come to an encounter today that is such a powerful encounter. I hope you have your Bibles. Do you have your Bibles? Would you hold them up? Do you have your Bibles? Kids, bring your Bibles. Teenagers, bring your Bibles. Adults, bring your Bibles. I know the phone can serve as that. But boy, there's nothing like just an old-fashioned Bible. So if you have your Bible, turn over to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. We've been through a lot this last year. We've lost friends to COVID. We've lost friends to cancer. We've lost friends to heart disease and to other ailments. Some of us have lost friends to accidents. It's part of life. Uh, if you live long enough in this old world, there comes a point in your time very similar to what we're going to be looking at today where you just kind of are stunned. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to think. You don't know where to turn. And, and so today we're going to be looking at an encounter where Jesus helps two individuals, but helps more than two. He helps us as well to think through this whole process where sometimes we find ourselves asking God, where are you? Where are you? Why are you not answering my prayers? Why am I why I'm not feeling your presence, God? Where are you in these difficult times that we go through in life? John 11 is the seventh of seven signs that John uses in his gospel to take us to the cross. And this is the last one. This is the big one. And, and fascinatingly enough, when you read it, you think, why in the world did Matthew, Mark, and John not write about this? And, and the best guess I have is that they were coming from a Galilean perspective uh, Peter was telling his story to Mark about what Jesus did up in Galilee. John comes along years later and says, Can I tell you what Jesus did down in Judea and Jerusalem in particular? And so nearly all of John's gospel takes place down south in Judea, specifically in Jerusalem. And this story today is just right outside. It begins with some very simple words. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. There it is. A man named Lazarus was sick. First time we were introduced to Lazarus. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. Now, it's not the first time we've heard of Martha. That's what's fascinating about it. We'll come back to that, Mary and Martha, here in a moment. But notice they're from Bethany. Bethany is literally right over the hill from Jerusalem. It's about two to three miles from Jerusalem. This is kind of a map here. You can see Jerusalem on the left. You've got the temple. On the right is the Mount of Olives. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, and I know, Rodney, you have how many times? 21 times. Is that all? Okay. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, you stand there at the Temple Mount, and you look east, and there's the Mount of Olives just kind of there right in front of you. And that's the Mount of Olives you see on the right here. And if you went up the Mount of Olives, crossed over to go to Jericho, you would go through Bethany. Now, Bethany's a little bitty village. It's a village that is primarily on this, prim this main road going down to Jericho. And so a lot of people would pass through it. 
I'm sure there was some commerce. There were probably, probably people there that you could stay at their house when you came for one of the feast days. But it's a suburb of Jerusalem, at least as best they had them back then. Now we first meet Mary and Martha in, of all books, the book of Luke. Luke tells us about how that Jesus one time All right. Megan, where are you at? She's back in the back, isn't she? There she is. Megan told me this morning, she said, uh, I hope the balloons don't stop popping during the middle of your sermon. All right. Jesus had met Mary and Martha, perhaps on one of his trips to Jerusalem. We don't know how he met them. Uh, I suspect he had gone there and done some healing. And, and we'll look at that here in just a moment. But, but somehow he had met them and, and he had spent some time and developed a friendship with these two sisters. Now here's what we don't know. We don't know the birth order. Was Lazarus the oldest? I mean, were, were these two younger sisters taking care of an older brother? Was he the youngest? You know, did he have health problems? You know, what did Mary and Martha do for a living? Did they open their house and rent it out during the feast days? Is that how they made their living? We have, we have all kinds of questions. We have no answers to those questions. But what we do know is that they sent word to Jesus and they said, Lord, your close friend is sick. Now, it's very important that you see the way this is translated. This is from God's Word, a, a specific translation. And if you'll notice, Lord, your close friend. Because the word in the Greek there is from the Greek word philia. It's phileo. It's the, it's the uh, verb form of that. And it has to do with friendship love. And a lot of our translations, you know, Lord, the one you love is sick. Well, it's actually the one you're close friends with is sick. And, of course, they're hoping Jesus will do something about it. Now, how did they know to send to Jesus? I think, again, it's because Jesus had performed a lot of miracles in the area. You go on later in Mark 14, and there's a big dinner giving in Jesus' honor at Bethany. And look whose house is in. It's in the house of Simon the leper. Now, by the way, you don't get the name the leper unless what? You've had leprosy. Okay, I mean, that's just not the name you would... Aren't you glad we don't get names like that today? I mean, I'd be less the high blood pressure preacher. You know, that's what I would be. You know, I mean, you know, you'd get all these names based on your health conditions. Wow, what a difference that would make. But, but very likely, they had got to know Jesus. They knew he was a miracle worker. They knew he could heal people. And so they send word to him. And, and, and so they turn to the great physician, the one they know can do it when no one else can do it. And when Jesus hears this, Jesus gives us an insight back behind the curtain. I've oftentimes described this story as the miniature book of Job from the Old Testament. A story of suffering, of where people are trying to figure out why is there suffering? Where is God in the midst of suffering? And, and of course, in the book of Job, we are able to kind of part the curtains and see behind the interaction between God and Satan. And, and we get the same thing here. John says, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. God's got a purpose behind it. And so we get this divine purpose that we're aware of. Now, let me say a word here. Not necessarily everything that happens has a divine purpose behind it. Sometimes what happens just happens. 
It's the way life is in this world. But sometimes God's doing something. And this is one of those examples where God is doing something. And, and notice, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. One of the things that John wanted to make sure of is that when questions arise, don't doubt the love of God. Jesus loved them. And the word love here is agape, which is interesting because it's the same word used in John 3, 16 for God's love for you and me. God loves us just like Jesus loved them. And and, and when people sometimes say, does God love everyone equally? Agape love, yes. Phileo love, no. You see, phileo love or philia, the, the, the noun form, that, that type of love is about friendship. It's about which you, that which you have in common. That's why Abraham is described as the friend of God. They had something very much in common. And so you can be a closer friend to God than someone else, but as far as agape love, he loves us all the same. But here's what's fascinating. When Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. What's he doing? I mean, he has to know what Mary and Martha are going through. He he has to know how desperate they are. And of course he does. And you also have to ask yourself, what's going on in his head? Why is he not acting? And one of the things that you have to do when you look at a text like this, you have to realize that there are more than one story going on. That God is doing more than just something to Mary and Martha, but God may also be doing something with Jesus. You see, that question we ask may be because the Father is active. He's got doing something he's doing in his will. You see, if you turn over to the book of Hebrews, one of the things that you find is that Jesus, notice, during the days of his life, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears. Why? Because he had to learn obedience from what he suffered. And you can almost see him as he's praying to the, his father and God saying, not yet. But Father, if if I don't go, if I don't act, he's going to die. That's fine. Not yet. You just hang on. I'm doing something. You're learning something. They're learning something. The world's going to learn something. And so you got all of these different stories taking place at the same time. And so Jesus finally, after uh, a couple of days, he says to his disciples, let's go back to Judea, let's cross the Jordan, head back toward Jerusalem. And, and in order to understand the seriousness of this, you've got to turn back one chapter to the end of that chapter where the last time Jesus is in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him. And he and his disciples got out and got out of Judea and crossed over to the other side of the Jordan. And that's where they are. And when the apostles hear Jesus say, let's go back, they're like, are you kidding? Lord, the last time we went to Jerusalem, they tried to kill you. And, of course, they know Jesus is going back. And you have Thomas who says, all right, let's go and die with him. And so to Jerusalem or to Bethany they head. And when he gets there, notice, on his arrival, he found that Lazarus had already been dead four days. Now, I want you all to think about this. He stayed back two days. It's a one-day trip. It's a one-day trip up to Jerusalem from probably where he was. Which means that very likely when the messengers got to Jesus, Lazarus was already dead. Jesus knew it. 
He knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what Mary and Martha were going through. And so he gets there, and Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days because they buried, literally, as soon as you died, they would prepare the body and they would bury you. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. We looked at the map a few moments ago, and a lot of people had come out to comfort them. And so there's a lot of people gathered. Usually when there was a death in the family, there would be seven days of mourning. You know, different cultures have different ways of of mourning those who, who pass away. And so they were still in the midst of that seven days. And so there's people who have come out from Jerusalem, perhaps relatives, definitely friends. And they're all there grieving with Mary and Martha. And when Martha hears it, she goes out to see Jesus. And I love what the text says. Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. One of the most precious verses in all the Bible to me. And the reason is because something that happened long, long time ago in my life. When I was in like the second grade, my dad, who could have easily been a preacher, was invited to a little country church to preach. And I remember going and thinking, man, my dad's going to preach. And, and my dad got up and preached, and the text he used was this one right here. And to this day, all of these years later, I still hear my dad saying, Lord, if you've been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Now, that wasn't, of course, the truth. You, you see, if you go back earlier in the book of John, the second sign, the second sign is about a time when Jesus was in Cana. Cana, if you notice on the map, is way up here. A man from Capernaum, about 18 miles away, sends word to Jesus, my servant is sick, and Jesus tells him, you just go home, he's going to be okay. And the man goes home, and on the way back to Capernaum, somebody meets him and says, your servant is well. And he says, when did he get better? And he got better this time yesterday. And Jesus says, or, or the man said, that's, that's when Jesus said he would be better. And so Jesus had the ability to heal long distance. And so when Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, it's not the truth. He didn't have to be there. And of course, he was there in his spirit. He knew exactly what was going on. And so when Martha said that, you could just see where she is. And Jesus and her began to just have a conversation. And, and of course, we often think that God is somehow absent or doesn't care when tragedy strikes. I mean, that's kind of where these sisters are right now. Lord, if you had just been here. And so Jesus says, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he'll rise in the resurrection at the last day. And you get into a conversation here that gets quite cryptic very quickly. One of the things that I'm fascinated is how clear thinking Martha is at this moment. This last week I lost my mentor named Grover Hastings. Grover and I worked together for 10 years. John got a chance to work with him for a few years as well. Grover was my friend. And I spoke at his memorial yesterday. And all I have to do is start talking about it and I lose it. Because that's what happens when you lose someone that's close to you. There are moments of clarity and then just you cry. Moments of clarity and you cry. You go up for a while and then you come down and you're just like, man, why can't I get a hold of it? And so when I read about Martha and saying, I know he'll be raised on the last day, I'm thinking, wow, one of those brief moments of clarity only to be followed by weeping. 
a sadness, a sorrow. And they get into this discussion, I'm the resurrection and the life. And Y'all listen to what Jesus says. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Now, wait, wait a minute, Lord. You just said, if I believe in you, even if I die, I'll live. But then you just said that if I believe in you, I'll never die. Which is it? And, and if you're confused by that, join the rest of us. I mean, I think I understand what he's trying to say here. But, but like so many times in John's gospel, when he talked about to Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. To the woman at the well, if you drink this living water, you know, you'll never thirst again. I mean, Jesus had a way of saying things that caused you to step back going, you know, and go, what in the world is he talking about? And then he says to, to Martha, do you believe this? And Martha's reply is, yes, Lord. And I know at this moment, she's just kind of so confused. She says, I believe you're the Messiah. I believe you, that you're the Son of God. I believe you're the one that's supposed to come into the world. And Jesus knows that she's just kind of confused. And that's okay because that's what happens to us when we're going through a time like this. In the midst of chaos and grief, God's promises can be quite confusing. I still remember when I was 17 years old. Wednesday afternoon, I'd gotten off school, driven home walked in the front door of my house and my mom was on the phone in the, in, the, in the hall just screaming, just screaming. And of course, I'm like, Mom, what's wrong? And that's when I found out my older brother had gotten killed in an airplane crash. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. I mean, I'd never had anyone that close to die. And I remember going back into my bedroom later that afternoon and just getting my Bible out and just reading, trying to find something to grab hold of. And I think that's what Mary and Martha are doing right here. That's what we all do. I mean, when we go through these times, it's like, God, where are you? I need something to hold on to right now. And, and even though we know that God is going to orchestrate everything, Paul says, to work towards something good in our lives, it's hard to understand it at the time. Now, looking back, I get it. But boy, at the moment, it wasn't just quite clear at that time. Martha goes back into, into town. Jesus, for some reason, is staying out, and Mary comes. And Mary is absolutely distraught. She falls at Jesus' feet. Same thing. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. You said the same thing Martha said. Of course she did. They've been saying it for four days. They've been saying it ever since Lazarus had breathed his last. Jesus, if he had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And she just yells that out and she's crying. And, and, and the people who have followed her out there, they're crying. And now Jesus begins to get emotional. And then notice verse 35. Jesus himself wept. It's one of those verses that we know is the shortest verse in our English Bibles. But the problem is, is that we oftentimes miss what's going on here. God cries. God cries. And I think if we're not careful, we look at this and go, boy, look at how much Jesus loved them. And, and I want to just stop for a moment and ask us a question. Do you think he loves us less? I mean, have you ever thought about that? I mean, I don't know how many times it's dawned on me. Guess what, Les? God cries over you. 
Sometimes because of how big a failure you are. Sometimes because you actually get it right. But God cries over you when you go through the valley of the shadow of death. I mean, when I sat there yesterday and June texted me early yesterday morning and said, I'm praying for you today. I know it's going to be hard. And it was. And I know God was crying over that family of my dear friend. And you see something about the nature of God in this text that I think we need to really reflect on and let it sink into our hearts. And then you get the choice we can make. I'm fascinated by what John does here. The Jews said, see how he loved him? But some others spoke up. Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? Do you see the two different directions you can go? I mean, some people are saying, look at how much Jesus loved them. Others saying, yes, but why didn't he do something? Thursday morning, I will speak at a parole hearing. It's a man who who has been in prison for most of his life. And I was talking to him about his relationship with God. He comes to church, but I don't know that I could call him a strong believer been baptized. He said, I've been baptized, but he said, I've really struggled with it. And I asked him why. I said, what has kept you from from really coming to faith in God and Jesus Christ? And he said, my mother came down with cancer. And my mother goes to a church that doesn't believe in using medicine. And so when she came down with cancer, I told her, I said, mom, you need to go see a doctor. She said, no, we're going to pray and God's going to take my cancer away. Anybody want to guess what happened? She died. And he looked at me and he said, why did God not answer her prayer? And I wanted so much to say to him, God answers our prayers in more than one way. I mean, do you not think that God gave Paul, Luke, the physician for a reason? I mean, have you ever dawned on you? Why did Paul need a physician traveling with him all the time? And all you got to do is read what happened to him. And you go, of course God gave him a doctor. God gives us doctors and nurses to continue the work that Jesus did. And so oftentimes we're like, ah, yeah, he could have saved him. But God had a different plan. And of course, when it comes to which direction do you go, when God doesn't exactly, you know, respond the way you want him to respond, boy, that's a tough one. And I hope you go with a side that says, see how much he loves us. And so he goes to the tomb, and after praying to God, he cries out, Lazarus, come out. And it's one of the most powerful scenes in all the Bible, beyond the resurrection of Jesus himself. I love the way John describes it. He says, the dead man came out. Y'all ever notice that? He's not dead. I don't know why. I, I guess John just kind of messed up right there. Holy Spirit slipped up on that one. The de- no, the dead man, the man who had been dead came out. And of course he comes out and his hands and his feet are wrapped with strips of linen. There's a face around him, uh, excuse me, a, a napkin around his face. And Jesus says, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And what I love about that text is that to me, that is what God does in our lives spiritually. One day we'll do physically as well. I like my own paraphrase at the end. Set him free. And what Jesus does is he does exactly that, y'all. He sets us free. He sets us free from all the doubts, all the questions, all the struggles and says, just trust me. And it's going to be okay. 
I promise you. I'm about to leave my friend for the last time three weeks ago Thursday. And, uh, and he prays. Uh, I asked him if I could pray with him. He's under hospice care. I said, do you mind if I pray with you? He said, I want to pray with you. Now, I've never had that to happen. All the years I've, I've been at people's sides, I never had the person dying want to pray for me. And, and so I said, sure, and he began to pray. One of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard in my life. But it was an honest prayer. He said, God, I'm scared to die. I'm scared of everything that death has, has around it. But I know you're there. And I know your spirit will be with me. And that's really what God's calling us to. We may not understand. We may even be scared. But we know God's spirit is with us. He's with us today. If you need to somehow be set free, whether it's from sin, by obeying the gospel, believing and being baptized, maybe it's something going on in your life that you just need to know that God's people are praying for you. God, please set me free. We're here to pray with you, and we'd be happy to do it. And you can come right now as together we stand and sing.